How about our college worship team leading us in worship today? Wow. That's pretty awesome. Love these young leaders who are already leading in our church. Um, so, you know, every year when we go to Rome, we always go to St. Peter's. I had no idea they had a basketball team until this week. <laughs> and they have completely destroyed my bracket, seriously. Um, but uh, it is March Madness, but it is more than that, obviously. This is the Easter Lenten season, and we are preparing our church to celebrate the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and communicate that good news to our community. Easter, why does it matter? That is the phrase that we will be using in the lives of our people here in Arlington. You'll remember on April 3rd, that Sunday morning, we'll have yard signs available for everyone that would choose to do it, and you just put that sign in your yard, and that's what it'll say, Easter, why does it matter? And it'll have a QR code on it, and that QR code will take you to a landing page, and we've been working hard getting that page ready. It, if you go to that page, once it's live and ready, you'll be able to read about Easter and why it matters. You'll be able to read about the good news, and you will hear testimonies about the good news. You'll be able to read it in multiple languages, um, in Mandarin and Spanish and English and Hindi and, and uh, numerous languages. I think there are like six or seven of them. You'll also hear videos in each one of those languages. So we're trying to do our best to communicate the good news with the people of our community. And uh, you can be a part of that just by putting that yard sign uh, in your yard as we continue to study together. Uh, what does it really mean to be redeemed? And this um, emphasis, remember, is to help to cultivate, to grow, to build, to facilitate, to uh, develop within us a culture here of evangelistic sensitivity. So we'll be talking more about that from now on, actually. So with that said, I'd like for us to look today at this text out of Romans 8. I've entitled the message, Life in the Spirit. And you know that Romans 8 is our text for the Easter season. And uh, we've already begun our study of Romans 8, and we'll continue that journey today. And we find ourselves in Romans 8, verse 5, and we'll read through verse 13. Some scholars separate verses 12 and 13 out of this section, but I think it fits better with this section. And when you read Romans 8, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8, the NIV doesn't translate the conjunctions, but there are connecting words between each one of these verses, for, and, so. So the, the thought is being continued and it's an argument tightly woven together by Paul that sometimes escapes us uh, when you try to translate it to another language. But here's what Paul has written. Verse five, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, 
are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now this season at our church, we are exploring together the whole understanding of redemption. And so if we're going to share the good news, it stands to reason that we need to become acquainted with just how good the news is. And so this whole season is about that. It's about exploring together the deep meaning of redemption because redemption is holistic according to the teachings of the Scripture. It's not piecemeal. Redemption touches every facet of our lives. And so we'll continue to learn about that as Paul teaches that here in Romans 8. Here's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to begin with some doctrinal conversation and then we'll enter into an application conversation. So let's start with the doctrine first. A couple things I need to point out to you as we have this conversation about life in the Spirit. So let me begin with this one, and that is that the Trinity is affirmed in Romans 8. Romans 8 presents, affirms the reality of our triune God. Just a reminder to us as, as Christians, we are Trinitarian in our theology. So if you'll look with me at Romans 8, look at verse 3. The text says what the law was powerless to do, God did by sending his own son. So there's the father and the son. In verse 2, you see the law of the spirit. You see in verse 5, living your lives in accordance with the spirit. You'll see in verse 9, the spirit of God or the spirit of Christ. And so this teaching is woven throughout Romans 8 that we believe in one God who has revealed himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize that the whole conversation about the Trinity is a challenging one, and I'm okay with that because here's the thing. You and I do not understand everything there is to know about God, and aren't you glad? Because God is not like us. God is beyond us, and there are aspects to God that are beyond our ability to even comprehend and understand. We can have this conversation, and then we posit our faith and our belief in the triune God, but we'll never fully, completely understand it. And think about that. If you knew everything there was to know about God, he wouldn't be much of a God. If you had it all figured out, if, if you, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about just little old you, remember? Just you. So think about that. I've told you this before. But if you were to go home and look, at the mirror, look in the mirror and just see how small your head is and the fact that your brain fits inside of your head and to think that your little old brain can comprehend everything there is to know about God is ludicrous on his face. True? So aren't you glad there are some things about God 
that escape us. You know, Augustine was fond of saying, I don't have eyes of faith so that I may believe. He, would, he said, I believe so that I may have eyes of faith. We put our trust in God. He's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. So we're Trinitarian in our theology. Now, with that said, I want us to have a conversation about the Holy Spirit this morning. Now, let me preface it by saying this. I was reared a Baptist. And here's what I tell you about Baptists, at least when I was growing up. We were nervous about the Holy Spirit. We were afraid that if we talked too much about the Holy Spirit, we might become charismatics. So we became charisphobics. We went way off the road into a ditch. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, you didn't even refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit. You called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. And the pronoun you used was always it. You never referred to him as a he. That was, a, that was in some sense to me, it was limited in its understanding. So I just want to make sure that this morning what we do is that we recognize we need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to live our lives in the Spirit. So this morning, I just want to set some doctrinal truths in front of us that I believe we all already know. But just in case there may be some who don't, I want to just explain it to us one more time. It's not definitive. It's not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. There's more to say about the Holy Spirit on, from this very page of Scripture. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit throughout Romans 8. But let me just walk you through some things this morning that are very important. First of all, the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit, we would use the pronoun he. He is a member of the Holy Trinity. And he is personal in his nature. Do you remember in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira came and brought their offering before the Lord? Y'all remember this story? And remember they got struck dead during the offertory? You know, that would definitely cause you to change your offertory. Don't you agree if the people are getting struck dead when you're taking up the offering. But it is what happened. But you remember why it happened. Ananias and Sapphira lied. You remember this? And so Simon Peter said to them, don't you know that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And then he went on to say, and when you lied to the Holy Spirit, you weren't just lying to another person, another human. You were lying to God. In other words, Simon Peter already knew that the Spirit of God is a part of the Godhead. And so he is a person. Here in Romans 8, if you'll look at uh, verse 2, the Spirit is the one who gives life. He gives life to us. In Zechariah 4, verse 6, the Bible says he empowers the people of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has a will. In Hebrews 9, verse 14, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is eternal. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is personal, and he is a member of the Trinity. Second, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's something very important for us to understand that God chose to dynamically change everything at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is the one-time unrepeatable event when God sent his spirit to this earth to his people. And so the gift of the spirit is recorded in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2 verse 17, 
Simon Peter stood up and said, I've seen this. Here's what it is. It is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Joel when the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit on mankind. And so the fulfillment of that prophecy took place there at Pentecost. The spirit of God was given. In the Old Testament, the spirit of God came upon people. But in the New Testament, a dynamic change exists. Now the spirit of God is going to dwell within the people of God. And that's going to change everything. So the gift of the Holy Spirit takes place at Pentecost. Next, I want to talk to you a little bit about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because this is what confuses many people. When people have a, as, as Protestant Christians, when we have a conversation about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it can be very confusing sometimes. First of all, I just want to affirm, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it is what the Bible teaches. In Mark 1, verse 8, John the Baptist said this. He said, I'm baptizing you with water. The one who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus said, right before his ascension, he said, you've, been, you, you've seen John baptized with water, but you're about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a real event. Now let's make sure we understand how it works. When you become a believer... When you make the decision to accept Christ into your life, you are then baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. It's not some later event. It's not a later occurrence. It's not something that's down the road. It's not just for special Christians. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every single Christian. So as if you have made a decision to follow Jesus and someone asks you, are you a Christian? And you say, yes. And they say, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? You say, duh. Why would you ask me that? I just answered that. You asked me, am I a Christian? Yes. Well, when I become a Christian, I engage God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I am baptized by the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God now dwells in me as one of his children. That happens for every single believer. It's for all of us. Every one of us who trusts Christ It's the indwelling spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 13, Paul says that we've all been baptized by this one spirit. What it means is, is that we now have a union with Jesus. And the spirit of God is given to us to seal us into the family of God. It doesn't happen later in our lives. So there's confusion about it. Because there are some who teach this. They say, well, baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that happens after salvation. And here's how you know it when it happens. How do you know what some people say? How do you know when you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit? What's the sign, some people say? Speaking in tongues. And that is an absolute misunderstanding of Acts chapter 2. And they typically point you to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, y'all, Pentecost was not a time where the people of God spoke in tongues. That's not what they did. They spoke in languages. They spoke in languages in which they were not trained. And the people who were there from all over the world said, how is it that we're hearing these people speak in our language? And they're not trained in these languages. Whenever you see the word tongues used in the scripture, if you can insert the word language and it makes sense, it means language. 
So the miracle of Pentecost is a one-time, unrepeatable event where the Spirit of God was given to the church. The Tower of Babel, the curse, was reversed symbolically where people were scattered. They were unable to communicate with each other. Now the Spirit of God has been given as a taste of what it's going to be like one day when we can all understand together, one another, the truth of the gospel. And so the baptism of the Spirit, y'all, it happens when you get saved, not some other time. Now, I have a great deal of respect for John Wesley. He's one of my favorite theologians. Wesley talked about this, this second blessing, this, this experience after his salvation. I'm fine with that. I love John Wesley. But there are many who have followed him who've interpreted that as being baptized by the Holy Spirit, and that is not what the New Testament teaches and so if you're a believer, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So let's just say it out loud. I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Good. I'm so glad to hear it that you know that's what's happened to you. You're not waiting on it, okay? If you want to see the sign of a baptized believer who's been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you'll see a person whose life is marked by obedience to the gospel. That's the sure sign that somebody's been baptized by the Spirit. Are y'all still with me? Okay, so the filling of the Spirit now, the filling of the Spirit is something different. Um, in Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, just two verses to Mark if you want to study the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, Paul says you're sealed by the Holy Spirit in the family of God. Verse 14, Paul says the Holy Spirit's been given to you as earnest money, as a down payment, as a deposit to secure your inheritance so the Spirit of God has already been given to you. You've been sealed into the family of God. Your inheritance has made, been made secure because the Holy Spirit has been given to you. But then Paul will say this in Ephesians 5, verse 18. He'll say, don't get drunk with wine, that's debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And, and the Greek text is in the present active indicative. So in other words, it means to continue to do this. This is something that you will do now for the rest of your life. Baptism takes place at salvation, absolutely. But to be filled with the Spirit, that's an everyday thing. It's an everyday discipline. It means to yield to the leadership of the Spirit of God. And so every day as Christians, one of the things that we ought to do is we start every day asking the Spirit of God to fill us. Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. You know why? Because you need help. You need guidance. You need, you need leadership in your conversations, in your relationships with your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents or your children or your boss, or your employees, or you come to those intersections in your life where you're trying to make decisions, you need the Spirit of God's wisdom. You need to be filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit of God leads you and guides you, helps you learn how to yield to the will of God, to be obedient to the things of God, so that you can live like a child of God, because that's God's desire for you. So we are to be filled with the Spirit every day. Give God a chance to work in our life. And then finally, one other thing, the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts, plural. The gift of the Spirit is Acts 2, Pentecost. The gifts of the Spirit, that's the supernatural gift that the Holy Spirit of God gives to every Christian. Every Christian, everybody becomes a believer. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you're given some type of gift that can be used by God through you in the life of the church and his kingdom. So for me, God gave me the gift of preaching and teaching. I didn't ask for it. I asked for the gift of playing third base for the Boston Red Sox. That's what I asked for, okay? Instead, I got the gift of preaching and teaching. You know what, when I was teaching, preaching at Truett Seminary, I taught for eight years at Truett. Every student in my class had to preach. So all these Truett students would come before the class and preach. 
And you know, y'all, sometimes one of them would preach and the whole class would go, now that is the gift of preaching. It's just something God gives. It's a, it's a gift that he gives. Well, he gives the gift of administration, of mercy, of hospitality. There, there are numerous gifts that he gives. Everybody gets one. So you have one because the Spirit of God now dwells in you, okay? Now, let's look at the application of all of this. Two things I wanna share with you this morning, okay? The first one is this. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the evidence of our salvation. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the evidence of our salvation. Would you look at verse nine? Paul is outlining this, this contrast between two different ways to live. You can live your life according to the flesh, or you can live your life according to the Spirit. Those are your two options, okay? He says, you, however, Christians, you're not in the realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the Spirit. And then he says, if indeed, I would say since, since the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ are interchangeable here, he says, well, they don't belong to Christ. Here's the evidence of your salvation, that the Spirit of God lives in you, that you have received this precious gift. You've been sealed, Ephesians 1.13, by the Holy Spirit. The down payment has been paid in your life Ephesians 1, 14, guaranteeing your inheritance. The Spirit of Christ is now in you, dwelling in you. You don't have to wait for it. This is not something down the road that you hope one day you'll get. You don't necessarily ascend to this. Man, if you can become a super Christian, you're going to get the Spirit of God. No, that's not how it works. If you don't have the Spirit of God in you, if you don't already experience that, then you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, then you've already been given that precious gift, the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Aren't we glad? And so it's evidence of our salvation but here's the real application for us this morning. And this is what we're going to talk about as we keep studying Romans 8. And that is this, that the power of the Holy Spirit is operative in our lives. Here's something that you and I need to embrace and understand. That the power of the Holy Spirit is at work right now in your life and in my life. I'm not hoping it'll happen one day. It'd be really nice if, no. The Spirit of God and his power is already operative in our lives. Romans 8, here's what you're going to find in Romans 8. Look, look at verse six. He says, if you, if you choose, verse six, you can allow your mind to be governed by the flesh. Just the desires of the flesh. Just what comes natural. If that's what you want to do, then your mind is governed by that. You can. He says, but you just need to know this. If that's how you choose to live, destruction will be the result. He says it's death. Now, not necessarily physical death, but it's being separated from God, his purposes for your life. Notice verse seven. If you choose to live according to the flesh, you've got two options. You can live according to the flesh, you can live according to the spirit. Live according to the flesh, he says, verse seven, well, then you're hostile to God. Look at verse eight. You can't even please God. Because you've decided that all that matters is what you think, what you want, how you want to live, how you were made, how you want to live that out. And you just want to do everything based upon what you want to do. You want to live your life according to the flesh. You know what? There are people all around us that do that. Paul says in verse 13, if you do that, you'll die. In other words, it'll lead to a destruction in your life. Now, you may say, well, what does it mean 
to have my mind governed by the flesh. In other words, to just focus on the flesh. Well, let, let me just read to you what it means. In Galatians 5, verse 19, here's what Paul says. The acts of the flesh are obvious. This is what it looks like when you just let yourself be governed by your flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That sounds like a description of my society. People in my world, really around the world, living their lives governed by the flesh. Sexual immorality, seriously? Our world? I remember, I'm old enough to remember when your sexual preferences were private and your religious preferences were public. And now all of a sudden I live in a world where your sexual preferences are on display and you're supposed to keep your religious preferences to yourself. I, just for the record, I could not care less about your sexual preferences. I care very much about your religious preferences. And if you get your religious preferences right, we don't have to worry about your sexual preferences. But if you want to focus just on your flesh, then I'll tell you what, you can convince yourself that everything is okay. And if there's ever been a society that has convinced itself that everything is okay, it's this one. Works of the flesh, impurity, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. It's on display in my world. You know, Paul puts it a little plainer than that in Romans. If you were to go back to Romans 1 and start reading in verse 18, you'll come across a text that we never read in public because it's too jarring. But Paul says, if you, if you want to just live your life according to the flesh, then you can convince yourself that everything's okay. And once you do that, everything's okay. But here's what you need to know. You choose that path, and eventually, destruction catches up. And so, guess what, y'all? The good news is, you don't have to live that way. You can, but you don't have to. Because I want to show you some really good news this morning. Look at verse 11 of Romans 8. And if or since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Can I tell you how good that news is? You can say to me, I just can't help myself. You know, I'm, 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 just, I'm just not strong enough to overcome this. Well, the spirit of Christ is in you. You got the spirit of God living in you. Yeah, but see, I just can't change. Really, you got the spirit of God living in you. Well, I, I, you know, I'm just made that way. Then change if you're made that way. What I mean is, people say, I've got a propensity toward this. You know, my family just has fits of rage. Good, change. Well, you know, my, my family just angry all the time. Well, get rid of your anger. You can change. You know why you can change? Not because of you, but because the Spirit of God is living in you, and the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. I can promise you, after Jesus died on the cross, he did not have the capacity to change. But the Spirit of God, hallelujah, resurrected him from the dead. And guess what? That same Spirit of God is in you and in me. And so I can choose to live my life according to the flesh, but I don't have an excuse for it. Not if I'm a Christian. 
because I have the power, the propensity to overcome my flesh. And I've had to change. There are things about me that needed to be changed. If you don't think that's so, ask this little woman who's sitting right here right in front of me. We've lived 40 years together. You know what we've learned about each other? We're both sinners. And we have to change. But guess what we've also learned? The Spirit of God's alive in us. And we've watched each other grow and change and mature and develop because that's what God does. Come on, y'all. The Spirit of God is in you. Live like it. You know, years ago, when I first started preaching, I came across this story about Itasca, one of my favorite towns in Texas, Itasca. You know what their mascot is? The Wampus Cats. I love that. Um, now, you don't want to speed going through Itasca, just a little personal note, not that I have any personal experience with that driving to Waco for eight years. Um, but <clears throat> nevertheless, before World War II, there was a terrible school fire in Itasca, burned the school down, 283 children died. It's one of the worst tragedies in Texas school history. Then they rebuilt the school and they put in the latest technology, a brand new sprinkler system that they'd never had before. And then about seven or eight years later after school was open, they were doing some repair work and they noticed they had never actually connected the sprinkler system, even though they had it. Okay, after doing some research, come to find out that story is really not true. They did put a sprinkler system in, and they actually connected it. So it has ruined a really good sermon illustration, just to be honest with you. But let's just pretend that it was true. <clears throat> because here's what I've learned is possible. You can live your life as a Christian without ever getting connected to the sprinkler system, so to speak. You can. You can live your life as a Christian in the flesh if that's what you choose to do. But, but why would you? Why, why, why would you? Why wouldn't you, why, why wouldn't you take advantage of the spirit of God's power in your life to overcome the things that imprison you? Why, why wouldn't you? You can't say, well, the spirit of God's not powerful enough. Seriously? The spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the deep when the Bible opens. The spirit of God was there at creation when none of this existed. The Spirit of God has raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God is now in me and in you, and I promise you he's powerful. Let him, let him lead me and you to live like the children of God. May it be so. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we, we love you, and we thank you so much for what you've given to us. My goodness, the gift of your Spirit. And not, not just generally, but you've given us your spirit personally, powerfully, so that we can live as your children. So Lord, there, there may be those within the sound of my voice this morning who need to be set free, who, who need your power to deal with temptations and challenges and having their minds just always so focused on the flesh it's so easy to do, to do that. We know it. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us all learn better how to live life in the Spirit and to appreciate and engage your Spirit and appropriate the power of your Spirit. Help us to learn to do it so that our lives can be testimonies of transformation because of your love and your grace. Lord, I thank you so much for this good news. May we be faithful to live it. 
and proclaim it. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.